So you're dead. Now what? This is Prime Law Podcast, your source for good counsel. I'm your host, Andrew Mertzenich, licensed attorney. Hello, everyone. To our new listeners, welcome. And to our devout listeners, welcome back. Today, we will be discussing what happens during the probate process. Specifically, we're going to focus on the state of Illinois, since that is where prime law group attorneys are licensed. But we're going to focus today on how long that process takes, what's involved in probate, and how we take a probate estate all the way from filing the initial documents to open the estate to the closing documents, all in the space of a few short minutes. Before we get into the actual process, however, we need to discuss what probate is and is it a process that we actually need to go through for every single situation. So first, I need to give a shout out to my history and English nerds. This is for you. The word probate comes from Middle English probate and from Latin probatus. The Latin term means to test, to examine, or to judge. In modern terms, as a verb, it is the process by which we authenticate or validate a will. In legal and practical terms, it's the court proceeding that takes place to administer the estate and assets of a deceased person. Now, a couple of my lawyer friends are going to tell me that the probate court is more than just this, that it involves guardianship proceedings, minor estates, all of this, And while you are correct, and I do acknowledge that the probate court does have more proceedings going on in it than just dead people's wills and assets, for purposes of our conversation today, we are going to be focusing on the decedent's estate. Turning to the process itself, I often have clients on the first phone call asking if there is any way at all that they can avoid probate through their estate plan. And in Illinois, there are several ways. However, something to keep in mind on whether or not a formal probate proceeding is required depends on what assets the deceased person owned and how they held title to them. It does not depend on whether or not they had a valid will. Thus, formal probate is only necessary if the decedent, that is the dead person, one, has assets that they own solely, that is, they don't co-own property, which is often the case in business partnerships or marital property, And two, the total value of the assets of their estate is worth in aggregate less than $100,000. Now the wheels are probably turning in your guys' head because the easiest way to avoid probate is to co-own property. What's even more is that you don't need to co-own that property with a person for this co-ownership exception to apply. For instance, assets can be held in a trust. And that is the primary advantage of a trust, which means that you can avoid probate. We'll talk about trusts in a later episode. The other way is that real estate can be held in either joint tenancy or tenancy by the entirety, where you reserve what is called a right of survivorship. That is, in joint tenancy or tenancy by the entirety with your spouse, when one spouse passes away, the entire ownership interest passes to the surviving spouse. You can also create contractual relationships that pass ownership of property upon death bypassing probate, such as naming a pay-on-death beneficiary in retirement or bank accounts. This is also the case in life insurance. If you have a named beneficiary other than yourself on a life insurance policy, then your life insurance bypasses probate 
and immediately goes to the named beneficiary. Another one of these documents is the transfer on death instrument, which allows real property, that is, a house or land, to transfer to a beneficiary, again, bypassing probate. Now, these examples are how you enter the co-ownership exception to the formal probate requirement. But thinking back, though, there is another exception, is that when the person's estate, that is, all the property the decedent owned at the time of their death, is valued at less than $100,000, and, big word, and, there is no real estate solely owned by the decedent. If that is the case, no formal probate process is necessary. So you may be asking, what happens if I don't have that much in assets and I don't own property? Well, what you can then do is what's called the small estate affidavit. More accurately, your heirs and beneficiaries and your legatees, those are the people who receive property under a will, can use the small estate affidavit to receive their inheritance. In this case, again, the value of the state must be under $100,000, no real estate, and the beneficiaries under a will or the legal heirs inherit the assets by filling out a small estate affidavit, an affidavit being a sworn statement. For example, someone who inherits a bank account would present the affidavit and a copy of the death certificate to the bank, and the bank would then release the funds. If the decedent left a will, then in addition to these documents, you would bring a copy of the will as well. Now, as to the form of the small estate affidavit, you can actually just Google it. And the standard affidavit is available online as a fill-in-the-blank form. It's only a few pages long. One word of caution, though, here is that some institutions, such as public pension agencies, have their own version of the form. So make sure to do your own due diligence, or you can always ask the agency if they have a form. But you may be asking yourself, what do I put in this affidavit? Well, in the affidavit, the person requesting the asset provides basic information about the deceased person and is also making the assertion that no probate proceeding has begun, nor is one planned or pending. They're also saying that all the funeral expenses have been paid, along with other information. Quick background on this. When it comes to the priority of creditors, that is, who gets paid first, a lot of people like to think that the IRS is number one, which isn't true. Number one is your funeral expenses. We like to have our bodies buried, then we like to go visit Uncle Sam. So, fun fact for you. Anyway, back to the small estate affidavit. In this affidavit, you have to state whether or not there is a will. And that's why if there is a will, the inheritor or the person making the sworn statement must present a copy of the will along with that affidavit. Now, do note that the statement is signed, quote, under penalty of perjury, end quote, which means that if a declarant lies in it, they could be subject to prosecution for the crime of perjury, that is, lying under oath. So don't lie in your affidavits. We've gone over how to avoid probate by using alternative estate planning documents and processes. We've also gone through the small estate affidavit process, and now we're going to talk about the formal probate process. So, the biggest question I get is, how much is it going to cost? How long is it going to take? 
answering the first one, how long does this process take? Well, I will usually give clients that the most common answer to all legal questions is, quote, it depends. The absolute minimum for a probate proceeding is six months, but some probate estates last for years, depending on the nature of the case. For instance, a medical malpractice or wrongful death estate, which has pending litigation, could take years to resolve. In fact, I just read an opinion from the appellate court that resolved a case that was almost 12 years old. On the flip side, a simple estate with only a few bank accounts or retirement accounts with nobody challenging the will or anything could take somewhere between the six-month to one-year range. However, now that we have determined that a probate estate is a necessary proceeding, what is the process? Well, first, if the decedent left a will, it is the responsibility of a person in possession of that will to file it with the circuit court in the county in which the deceased person was living. You'll find the circuit court usually in the county seat. For instance, Cook County, downtown Chicago. The actual process of taking the estate through probate, though, is the responsibility of a person named in the deceased person's will as the executor of the estate. If there is no will, someone must step up and ask the court to be appointed as the administrator of the estate, a job that is exactly the same as an executor, but as lawyers, we like lots of words. A note here, though. Modern language trends show that we are moving away from the specific designations based upon whether the decedent had a will or not to just a common title of personal representative of the estate. I'll be using all of these terms interchangeably because I can. Back to our regularly scheduled program. After the will is filed with the local court, this is where attorneys usually enter the mix. And this is because there's a lot of extremely particular paperwork that needs to get filled out, signed, filed, and distributed to interested parties. And if this gets messed up, it can throw off the entire probate process. For instance, notice of the opening of the probate estate must be sent to the deceased person's heirs, that is, the people who will inherit in the absence of a will, even if they are not named in the will. And so we have to figure out who these heirs are, and attorneys have the experience to be able to do that. Notice must also be published in a local newspaper in order to alert creditors. If this is not done, you run into certain statutes of limitations that could put you in trouble for your inheritance. Also, depending on the size of the estate and the terms of the will, an executor may also need to post a bond. A bond is a kind of insurance policy designed to protect the estate from losses caused by the executor. Basically, it protects the estate from problems arising due to the executor's action or inaction, making sure that the beneficiaries receive their due inheritance. Unless there's an obvious problem with the will, which is a very rare but still present case, the court will admit the will to probate and appoint the person named by the will to serve as executor. But it doesn't end there. The court is also going to determine whether or not this will be independent administration or supervised administration. Without fussing too much on the details, the main difference between the two is whether the executor must first seek court approval prior to taking an action. For example, selling an asset or paying some creditor. Most probate estates, though, pass through what is called independent administration, which is when the executor enjoys much more and much wider latitude in their ability to administer the estate without having to seek court approval. When would you prefer to have supervised administration? 
Supervised administration is generally desirable only if your heirs are fighting in court. Otherwise, independent administration will usually suffice. So, all of this paperwork is filed, whether that be the petition to administer the estate in the event that there is no will, or a petition to admit a particular will to probate, along with several affidavits, including one that says who the heirs are, despite the will, also indicating who is still alive in the decedent's family, the personal representative is then chosen and posts bond. The court may also have other requirements. There are variations from county to county, but once all of those requirements are met, the court will issue the letters of office, which officially appoint the executor or administrator. Now, with those letters of office in hand as the executor, what happens next? Well, in Illinois, the executor or the attorney for the estate must send notice to all heirs and must publish notice in the local newspaper indicating that the estate is open and where creditors can send their claims. Meanwhile, the executor is gathering and inventorying the estate in its entirety. The executor also must determine if there are any creditors entitled to special notice of the proceeding. This is important because once notice is published, this begins a six-month limitation period. If creditors do not file their claim within that period, then they're out of luck. So, a warning to creditors, there is still one good reason to read the newspaper every day. Back to what the executor is doing. The executor should also at this time be getting what is called a taxpayer identification number for the estate from the Internal Revenue Service. This is a common mistake for first-time executors and even young attorneys, we forget to apply for the taxpayer identification number. It only takes five minutes to do, but it is essential because no matter what, the executor must report income and changes in asset values during the administration of the estate. It will also tell us whether there is any estate tax due to either the state or to the federal government, and who doesn't like taxes. So how much work is this actually going to be? Well, most probate cases are just paperwork and are finished well within about a year. If, however, you have bickering relatives, as my often quote people, where there's a will, there's a relative, probate can take much longer and be much more expensive. This situation is when the much-feared will contest happens. If there is to be a court battle, it will almost always be about whether a will is a valid will. Now, I spoke very briefly in our very first episode about what makes a valid will. So I would encourage you to go there for some basic information on wills and look to the future for specific information on wills and trusts coming up in future episodes. However, our mile-wide, inch-deep analysis today is that if a court battle does erupt, it's most likely going to be over the following topics. So in one case, a claim could be made that someone unduly influenced the deceased person or that the person didn't have the mental capacity to make a valid will. This is especially true in cases where a person is suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's. Now, not to get too much into the weeds on this one, but you can have people who have Alzheimer's who have the good days and the bad days. And on a good day, they can have that testamentary capacity. But if there's reasonable doubt and somebody is being written out of the will for some reason, they may want to challenge it. So do know that as a caution. The other question is whether the will was properly signed or witnessed. If there's ambiguous language in the will, relatives will fight over that. 
Someone might decide to dispute a claim against the estate, such as an overdue bill for services not rendered. Heirs and beneficiaries could also argue that the executor is acting improperly, disobeying orders of the court, such like that. And if there is no will, there could be argument over who the decedent's heirs actually are. With the advent of easy and modern-day DNA testing, it's becoming easier and easier to find out who is actually an heir, and who you didn't know was an heir, and other such things. But never fear, the courts are here, and will, for better or worse, resolve all of these issues. The question is, how long is it going to take, and how much money is it going to cost? Unfortunately, a bad estate plan that isn't thought out, or that is just piecemeal at best, these are the perfect recipes for problems in probate, which, if you don't mind some shameless marketing, is why you should consult an attorney to help you navigate the estate planning issues so that you don't have issues like this in the probate process. This is part of the reason I enjoy estate planning so much, because it's solving problems before they happen. And so if you find yourself needing assistance due to a messy probate process, or you're looking to avoid these problems altogether and want to put together your estate plan, having an experienced law firm and an experienced attorney on your side is essential to getting the best result possible. Once the dust has settled, the assets are collected, the claims prioritized and settled, the heirs determined and their inheritances ready to distribute, it is time to close the estate. Now, closing the estate is another round of paperwork because before the estate can be officially closed, the executor must file their final accounting that shows how estate assets were handled. It lists the assets, any income that those estate assets generated, the amounts paid out for debts and other claims, the expenses of administration, that includes attorney's fees and executor fees, and any distributions that have been made to the beneficiaries. The accounting will also document how the executor intends to distribute the remainder of the property. At the closing, the executor submits that final report to the court and gets receipts from the beneficiaries who were given assets. The executor then submits a proposed order, allowing inheritances to be distributed, the claims to be paid, the attorney and executor fees to be drawn, the bond, if any, to be released, and finally, discharging the executor and closing the estate. And once that order is entered, the estate is closed. After that, the dead can sleep and the living can continue along their merry way. That is the probate process in a nutshell. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode here of Prime Law Podcast. As always, I want to say thank you for taking a moment out of your busy schedule to spend some time with me. I've enjoyed it, and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. With that, I'm your host, Andrew Mertzenich, and we'll see you next time. Congratulations! You've reached the disclaimer. This podcast is a production of Prime Law Group, LLC, who are attorneys licensed only in the state of Illinois. The primary purpose of this podcast is educational in nature and does not constitute legal advice of any kind. While we love that you are a devout listener, please note that no attorney-client relationship is created by you listening or acting upon anything you hear in this podcast. References to any specific product or service does not function as an endorsement or recommendation of the same. The views and opinions expressed by guests on the show are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, go to www.primelawgroup.com.
www.cloudcompetencies.com.